I've been so thankful about the month of May and June. I think it's one of the best we've ever seen. Now, I've only been up here 35 years, so, but the best in 35 years, I think, anyway. <clears throat> Thank you, Jake, worship team. Thank you, George, for those words. Well, in this day and time in which we live, it's difficult sometimes to decipher truth from error, objective facts from bias and manipulation. Politics and the media, they all have their little spin and their narrative to sell. TV commercials that boast amazing claims that literally are too good to be true. Have you seen those pharmaceutical commercials where they're trying to depict the product that people are living these amazing lives? And then you hear the back half of the commercial where he's talking like a million miles a minute faster than you can hear, telling you all the side effects and how it can kill you. Usually when I'm done with that, I'm like, no way, I'm not taking that stuff. <clears throat> but these days, you even have to identify that you're not a robot. <laughs> I'm not a bot. So, whatever happened to what you see is what you get. Truth seems to be important to us. And when Jesus taught, he often began his sentences with, I tell you the truth. Or, truly, truly, I say unto you. When Jesus came and he dwelt among us, he was truth walking, he was truth talking. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So, as followers of Christ, we are taught to live a truthful life. You know, they were first called Christians in Antioch. <clears throat> and um, I think that's because they look like little Jesuses, you know? They were walking it out. They were loving one another as Christ loved them. They were sharing their faith powerfully. They were anointed with the Holy Spirit. Awesome stuff was happening. The Apostle Paul put it in these terms in 2 Corinthians 5.20. You are ambassadors for Christ as if God were making his appeal through us. I think it's rather emphatic more that he is saying that we are ambassadors for Christ and he is making his appeal through us, right? Some time ago there was a quote and when I first heard it, it just hit me right between the eyes. And they said this, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty straight. Do I really walk the truth? Today, there's the passage I want to talk to you about is out of 1 Peter 3. And in the midst of that, we're going to see um, what he is asking us to do, all right? So let's look in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 18. And by the way, before I start reading God's word here, let me just pray. Lord, I just uh, ask that you would work through me as your instrument this morning in speaking, and also that um, those anoint them for listening. 
Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want you to do works of your spirit in our hearts. We are open to you this morning, God. We trust you at this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So I begin in verse 8, chapter 3. He says, finally, all of you, be like-minded. Now I've got to tell you that this is actually in the midst of some persecution and suffering that these Christians were experiencing. All right, they, um, they were kind of discouraged, and they needed to be lifted up. Can you imagine doing good things and then people complaining and whining and, and speaking falsehoods about you? And so that's, that's kind of what was going on here. So he needed to encourage them. He says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And he quotes some things from Psalm 34. I want to drop down to 13, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear these threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But to do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. The verse that I really want to home in on there, and that in those encouraging words to those people, is what Peter said: always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That is packed with a lot of stuff right there. first thing that I would say about that passage is that it implies, it's already implying that you have a listening audience in a sense, right? There are those who are seeking and they're looking for some answers. And don't be surprised if somebody comes up because of the life and the character of what's going on in your life and has a spiritual question for you. And we should be prepared to get an answer for the hope that's within us. The uh, word says, always prepared to give an answer. That's, uh, the word is, in Greek is apologia, and it means to give an apology. We, we think about, oh, I'm sorry for that. No. What it is, is like a defense. It is a legal term, actually, where you're in a courtroom and you are to give a defense for what you believe in. And so that is the context for this, that you are always prepared to give an answer and a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason that you, of the hope that you have. So people are going to ask you questions. 
There are those seeking truth enough that they may approach you and ask about the hope that you have. In any investigating crime, they will look for suspects and identify persons of interest. And so I think the question for us this morning, as we are those who walk out truth, but are you a person of interest? Or are you just maybe an interesting person? There's kind of a difference. I think a person of interest in this context and what I'm talking about is that it has the, the qualities of Christ that has content. Maybe being an interesting person could be superficial. Uh, they like your smile, your hair, or whatever, right? No hair. <laughs> but either way, are you a person of interest? I would say that if you're walking out the Christian life, that you are. There are people who are going to seek you out, if they already haven't, of course. And if someone at your work, let's just say, somebody at your work uh, was asked to identify all the Christians in that work site, in that building, and they said, okay, give me a list. And so here's this person, they're coming up with the list, and you're thinking, pick me, pick me, I hope I'm on your Christian list. What would they pick? Would you be on their list? Would you be off their list? wonder if they had to say, yeah, this person's a Christian, and the reason why I think they're a Christian is because of this. Or, no, I don't think they're a Christian. Here's the things why I, I don't think they're a Christian. Um, I actually asked that question to somebody a couple weeks back. <clears throat> I, I didn't know I was going to be speaking here. But I said, um, so who are, the, who are the Christians in your building? And he thought for a second, they go, well, I think they are, and they are. I don't know about that person. You know, and definitely not that person. <laughs> and they went on with their list, right? So, but are you a person of interest? If someone at, or does your life make a case for Christ? That's really what it is. And so today, I want to talk about four active evidences of hope. And we talk about the hope um, for the hope that is within you. And so uh, there's some active things, four active. And the reason why I use the word active is because um, it takes into account time, context, and it identifies who you are or what you're becoming. So there's consistency over time. So when a person is watching you, there's active evidences. There, it's a part of who you are. And obviously the hope that we're talking about is Jesus. There's no other name in heaven and on earth in which men must be saved. And that is Jesus Christ. We know who our hope is. That'd be a whole other sermon to, keep, to do that whole thing, right? But I know that you know what is... The, the hope that is within you. So it's interesting in this passage in verses 15 and 16 that before I launch off on identifying what these four active evidences of hope are, that they give us a guideline for sharing those, those evidences. And here they are. In verse 15 he says, be prepared. Well, you know, is it... Should we study 
the word? Should we prepare to give a witness to somebody? Should we prepare the next contact? The last time we talked to this person about the Lord, we said this, and next time I think I would like to go here. That's, that's thinking ahead of time. That's preparing, right? We would want to prepare. And so be prepared is one of the things you can do in sharing hope. The other thing is, he says, do it with kindness and respect. So even though, you know, they're not yet coming to the faith, we need to treat them with kindness and respect. I think if that's the tone that you have, they're going to be much more willing to hear your message. It's usually reciprocated. Um, rarely, in, in any time that I've been sharing my faith, have I ever had people be super angry or um, in my face disrespectful. I can't think of a time. But if I was hostile, they probably would be hostile too. So anyway, with kindness and respect. The other thing is to be consistent in doing good. Well, he talks about verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Well, when it says keeping a clear conscience, that means you've got to maintenance something, right? And so keep up with it. So those are the things I think are the like pre-guidelines of sharing the hope with people is be prepared, do it with kindness and respect, be consistent in keeping um, a clear conscience. So let me share with you these four evidences. Now these are things that when you become a Christian, God starts changing stuff in your life. And it's noticeable by people. And they want to ask questions. So, here's the first one. The active evidence of a changed life. When we came to the realization that we were truly sinful and separated from a holy and righteous God, we, we repented of our sin and chose to receive God's only sacrificial provision for sin through His Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have been transformed and began living a changed life. This is daily walking in the power of Christ's resurrection. So, we don't have any problem with the understanding of sin. It's sin that separates us from a holy God. In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who transforms lives from the inside out. Jesus, He encountered um, a guy named Nicodemus. So, you know, Nicodemus saw Jesus. He was like, you know, he was a Pharisee. Um, And so... Nicodemus sought him out by night. So let's, let's just read that passage, John 3, 1 through 6. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, and his name was Nicodemus, who was a member of a Jewish high ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, I know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you are doing if God not, were not with him. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, 
Truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they were born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So there's a couple of things uh, in reading that I just wanted to point out. First of all is that when we come to Christ and He comes into our lives, we, we are reborn. I mean, it's like a whole new thing happens inside. He's rewiring us all together. And when Nicodemus saw the works and words of Jesus, and him being a Pharisee, of course, a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they did not like the message of Jesus. They were, some of them may have agreed with some of it, but definitely they were, um, I don't know, they felt like they were at odds with him at all times. And so, I'm certain that Nicodemus thought, well, you know what, I would like to talk to Jesus, but obviously there's a lot of people around him, and if my folks who are other Pharisees see me talking to him, then that might put me in a bad light. So he seeks Jesus out at night. And oftentimes, when people want to come to you and ask about the hope that's within you, they may not do it right in the middle of all their friends. They may say... I'm going to wait for an opportune time where I can get you alone and, and actually ask you a nice question. Can we go out and have a cup of coffee or whatever? They're not necessarily going to do it at the, at the break table with 14 other people sitting around. So, um, very much so, people will approach you and you have that hope in you. So you're able to speak those words so therefore, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's exactly what happened. We became a new creation. We were born again. Um, I remember that <clears throat> there was a church that my girlfriend asked me to go to. This was back in, I was a freshman in college. It was like 1971. And um, there was a lot of cool stuff happening at that time. Um, there was the, the Jesus movement thing, and uh, a lot of cool songs, too. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I just remember this gal asking me to go to church with her. Now, I actually had a Christian background. I was taken to church when I was younger. Um, it was a good church. They taught the Word of God very well. I was... Well-founded. If anybody would have asked me, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe he's the Son of God? Uh, well, yeah. Um, you know, Because I was giving them the theological answers maybe they wanted to hear. Um, but I had, I had a good biblical base. And I guess I believed, but there wasn't any point in my life where there was a change. Um, I just had a religious background, pretty much. So when I went to church with this girl, um, I noticed that there was some really amazing things that were going on in that place, um, and it was the same kind of church that I grew up in, so I kind of knew the routine, but when the pastor got up and preached, he really preached with authority, and there were people that were really enthusiastic about their faith, and uh, some of the people that were my age came up to me and introduced themselves, it was really friendly. And, of course, I had my girlfriend. She went there, and I thought, well, okay, I'll go back. And I went back, 
And the more I went, you know, I got to meet these other people who were my age, and they began sharing with me how they became a Christian. And it always started with, this was my life before Christ. This is how I let Jesus into my life and received him. And this is the changes that happened after I received him. That was kind of the, the gist of their testimony before the actual event when it happened and what God was doing to transform them. And I kept hearing these, these things over and over. But I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a religious guy. I know something about God. Well, let me tell you, the Scripture says that even the demons believe and tremble. So, just believing something out there wasn't it. I needed to commit myself to Christ. I had to say, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. And I know when I was there for like a couple months at this church, these people, wonderful, like I'm saying, I was sitting like over here in this section, and the pastor that day was preaching on John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, just happened to be, and he was talking about being born again. And I got to tell you, the Holy Spirit just convicted my heart. I wanted to dig my heels in and not, not do this, but I felt like, man, you know, I, I don't have what those guys have. I have religious background, but I don't have Christ in my heart. You know, Scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears me and opens the door, I'll come in. It's over in Revelation. Well, that was kind of what was going on. First the knock was like that, then it was... And then it was like... I mean, I could just feel it building up inside me through the weeks. And, you know, the door was not like a solid oak door. And you just hear knocking on the other side. The door for me was different. I had no excuse. I knew the gospel. I knew who Jesus was. I knew the door was like crystal clear. It had a doorknob on it. I could see Jesus on the other side. It really wasn't did I believe in Jesus. Is am I willing to give my life to Christ? Am I let, will I let him be Lord and Savior? Will, am I willing to say I am a sinner and separated from a holy and righteous God and I need His cleansing blood through Christ, the only atoning sacrifice for sin, to come into my life. That's what it really came down to was the will. Am I going to do that? And when I did, He did exactly what He said He'd do. He came in. And when He came in, some pretty cool stuff started happening. And, you know, there was just this huge changed life. And one of the things that I felt immediately to do was to give a visual proclamation of identifying with Jesus. And that visual proclamation was the baptistry. Because that is a place where we picture the death, burial, my sin with Christ, resurrected in newness of life. And so... You know, the scripture says in Romans 6, 4, we were buried with him through baptism into death in that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
So I went ahead and took that step and got my feet wet in the baptistry and gave that public proclamation that I am unapologetically a Christian. I follow Jesus to this day forth. Now, that was over 50 years ago, and I want to tell you that God has been absolutely faithful to his promises. So he changed my life. First people to see it was probably my mom, my, my close personal friends. But I'm going to get into that a little bit later. The second active evidence of change is changed priorities. So people are going to notice your changed life, but now they're going, to men- they're going to start refining this a little bit more, and I would say changed priorities. So when we came to Christ, we voluntarily resigned our selfish right to have our own way and conceded to live a Christocentric life that would reflect the will and character of our loving Savior. And this is the supremacy of Christ reigning in our personal aspects in our life. We're going to let him have everything. Um, I remember there was this little pamphlet that was floating around for a while. I don't know if it's probably still out there. It was by a Presbyterian minister called My Heart Christ's Home. I think the guy's pastor's name was Munger, something like that. Anyway, he talks about the different places in the house and how Christ had to give each one of these eventually give all of this house in every room to Christ, not just, you know, holding on to certain areas. Well, that's what happened. My, my priorities started changing. When Christ comes in, that's what happens. That's what he said he's going to do. Francis Schaeffer, um, an author, uh, helped establish uh, the Labrie ministry. It was over in Switzerland. It was back in the early, probably late 60s and into the 70s, 80s. But he um, <clears throat> was was a good theologian. Anyway, he uh, wrote a book, several books, but one of them was called, How Should We Then Live? Asking that question. And I remember this one quote. It has stuck with me so well. He said, we should live as though we have died, gone to heaven, and then come back as risen. (laughs) Wow. I mean, can you imagine if you could just like, you know, pause for a second you're able to walk into heaven and be with God, see the angels, see the reality of the things that you believe. Go, that was staggering, awesome, amazing. It's like, you know, John, when he was writing, you come back as risen in a sense. You come back to earth and you're going, wow. Now, I'll guarantee you that that day and the days forward is going to be different than the ones that you just experienced. So, a neat visual. We should live as though we have died, gone to heaven, and come back and is risen. Jesus, you know, he kind of referred to some of this. He said when he prayed, he taught us how to pray, on earth as it is in heaven. He knows what's heaven like, on earth as it is up there. He also said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek the kingdom. The things of the kingdom. If we could see the things of the kingdom, maybe we could bring them here. And they can be here. And people are going to notice that, and they're going to ask questions for the hope that's within you. The thing is, is that we want what God wants. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, when we come to Christ and our priorities change, 
We just want to do what God wants us to do. And I, I want to say that God has, through his handiwork, um, he has created you in a way to do good works for him. He's already prepared them in advance. You start walking it out. People will ask questions. Another thing, we have a new work ethic. So our priorities are changing here. We want what God wants. Our work ethic is even different. Colossians 3, um, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work with it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance. So whatever you do, do it with all your heart. That's one of the things that changed. I mean, I wasn't sluggishly. When I became a Christian, I mean, God just radically took up residence. And that was the thing to do, was my best work for Him. Um, I would capture from what you said that you enjoy woodworking. Um, I also enjoy woodworking and was able to teach that in our school district for a number of years. And I tell you, God's handiwork, what He is doing, um, whatever I do, if it was teaching if in the classroom, if it was building something, I'm going to do it just like I'm building it for Jesus every time. And I'm going to try to get better at what I do every time. I mean, even this message, as soon as I get done with it, I'm probably going to go home and go over and see how I could do it better. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like ground into me that I want to do the very most and best work as I can for God. So when you allow Christ to reign supreme, your priorities are noticeably changed. You become the hands and feet of Christ doing the word and works of Jesus. So you have that change, active evidence of changed priorities. People notice the third active evidence of God's written word, I mean, is God's written word, okay? So, when we came to Christ, the thing we desire to hear the most is what God has to say. Our hearts and minds became thirsty to drink the living water of truth that only comes from the wellspring of His word. This is growing in God's truth. So we had a hunger and a thirst for His word. And everything we need for spiritual sustenance is actually found in God's Word. So, in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, all the change that he's initiating in your life, he is wanting to use that for his good work. But that comes, it's, you know, some teaching is gentle, some is rebuking and correcting, some is training in righteousness. I mean, some of the, I can think back of some of the things that he started saying here, let's start with the major stuff, work to the, the minor stuff. And uh, boy, I tell you, there were some apologies that had to come. And there were some people I had to apologize to. You know, when I first became a Christian, and um, I was thinking of things of the past back before I was a Christian. Yeah, I had to go back and apologize. I got to tell you, it was just like I was sitting in that pew again with my heels dug in, you know, pride. 
But I tell you, you know, when you obey God and do what He asks you to do, you know, there's just a freedom there. And it results in, in a changed life. And it changes others, too. So, um, God's Word is, is amazing. It's, um, he gives us all the spiritual sustenance that we need. I want to read Psalm, first chapter, first four verses. Beautiful. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Wow, that's a great picture. I love reading that. Because his thought and his, his desire is to know God, to hear God, to know His law, His precepts, to put that into your life. And He meditates on it. It's like, I don't know. I know. What comes to my mind is like the cow chewing its cud, okay? I mean, just you chew on it, and then you chew on it some more, and chew on it some more. I mean, it just, and it, it seems like when He gives me a truth, and I chew on that for a while, I go, oh, okay, that's cool. And then like six months later, we're at it again, but it's, a, it's like he dials it in a little bit more and dials it in some more. I mean, this thing like pride, golly, man, he, he was dialing that one in for like ever since the beginning, right? I mean, that's just a really tough thing that all of us struggle with. But I tell you, um, God's word brings freedom. And um, so this is what we can expect. And, and what is the thing... What happens to that person who is in God's Word and, and being affected by it? Well, you're like a tree that's planted by streams of water. Well, I grew up in an arid area in our country, um, Arizona. And that's um, kind of like the Bible lands, right? Very arid. And I could tell that there's cactus out there and sometimes no bushes or anything out there. But you get near a stream or a river of some sort, and you got big sycamore trees and all kinds of trees, right? And they're nice and green, and they, they're not starving. Their leaves are nice and green, and you like to get under their shade and dip your feet in the water, right? Well, that is one of those places. That's, that's the, the image that he gives, that a person who is in the Word of God is just being fed and streams of living water and... This yields fruit in season. Just take in the word, and it will give you that fruit in season. In season means, yep, you know, there's going to be some time lapse. You may not get it the first time or the tenth time. God's going to be faithful, but it's going to yield fruit in its season. And it says, whose leaf does not wither. And, I mean, that is a picture of green, life, livelihood. And whatever he does prospers. <clears throat> so, I would say that being in God's word replenishes you and feeds you truth. But look at verse 4. Not so for the wicked. Yeah, what about them? They're like chaff that the wind blows away. So, you've got to understand your life, as you are in active evidence of growing in God's word, 
is in contrast to people who are actually looking for truth and see that in your life and want to inquire about it. They're like very parched. They're like chaff in the wind. So, what is that picture? Well, um, there was a time when I, I used to go out on my uncle's farm and work, and um, it was in Illinois, and it was, um, it was different. And I remember taking those, like, wheat heads that they had, and I would take those things and put it in my hand, and I could go like this and roll it in my hand real fast like this. And when I do that, what it did was separate the chaff the outer casing of the grain head, and you would have the grain in your hand with the chaff. Now, <clears throat> and that would just blow, and all the chaff would go away because the grain was heavier than the chaff, right? Pop it in my mouth and chew it. And, you know, I don't know, some people, some guy from the first service said, yeah, I used to do that all the time. But um, it, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like gum. In a sense, you can't blow bubbles with it. But I mean, it's kind of like gum. And you can chew it and it tastes pretty good. But that's the, the, the illustration that they're giving here is that the lost, the people who are not under God's word, the wicked, they're like chaff that are just blown in the wind. So the hope the word gives us is the only hope for others. In Romans 15.4, it says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So, I've shared three of the active evidences. One, a changed life. Secondly, a changed priority. The third is the evidence of God's Word in our life. And the fourth is an evidence of a heart transplant. You could say the active evidence of a new heart. And that's what happens. When Christ comes into us, He gives us a new heart. He gave us His heart for continuing His mission. Immediately, there was a natural necessity to tell others about what Christ had done for us and what He can do for others. Jesus is the hope of the nations. This is participating in the redemptive work of God. So when I became a Christian, it seemed very natural for me to go tell all my friends because I was real comfortable with them and they knew me. We had um, had a lot of good times together and it was pretty neat. I mean, a couple of them trusted Christ. I remember there was this big um, Jesus movement thing that was going on and that there was a it was in Dallas, Texas. It was called Explo 72. And uh, I was only about one year old in the Lord. And I thought, man, I'm going to go to that. That just sounds like a cool thing. Because there were, I think Billy Graham was going to be there. Johnny Cash sharing his testimony. There was just all these things. They blocked off these major freeways. And they had this big Jesus thing going on. And it was like for a week. And they had big tents and all kinds of stuff going on. It was it was amazing. Anyway, I wanted to go because I wanted to hear more of God's Word. I wanted to be around God's people. And what ended up happening, I was like, going, well, I can't go by myself. So I chose two of my lost friends to go with me. I said, hey, guys. And I mean, it wasn't really an event for non-Christians, but I'm telling you, those two guys walked away with a dose of God. <laughs> and uh, it, it changed them. And it's funny, 
that about three weeks ago, one of those guys called me. I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard from him since that time pretty much. And it's good to know that he is uh, still in the faith. But, I mean, who would know? I mean, I was just telling my friends, let's go to this conference thing together. And, you know, God's doing stuff. So whatever God was doing with me just got all over everybody else. That's pretty much the way it was. And maybe they thought I was obnoxious, but nobody ever said anything about it. But it was pretty neat to see some of those lives change. And that's, that's what happens. When you become a Christian, God puts this new heart in you because we begin to take on the mission of Christ. That's part of his heart, to seek and to save the lost. You know, when he looked out over the fields and he saw the people, it says he felt compassion for them for, because they were like sheep with no shepherd. And that's what happens. God puts his compassions in us as well. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, I'm going to read that because it's pretty important here. You've heard this before, but I want to read it real quickly to you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, you should be salt and light. You should live a life that would cause people to inquire. Matthew 28 Jesus, this is referred to as the uh, Great Commission, but I kind of wonder through the years uh, if some have interpreted that as being the Great Consideration. It's like it's optional or something. Here's what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Because he has authority, he's asking us to go. And, you know, when you step out in that faith, just like when you first trusted Christ as your Savior, you say, well, I I have compassion, I have that heart of Jesus, I know what you're talking about, When you step out and you share your faith with somebody, you can be guaranteed that his authority is going to go with you, that his truth resides, and he will give you the right words to speak. And I got to tell you, when somebody somebody trusts Christ as your Savior, and you're able to lead them to that point, and they go from, this was my life before, and you were part of what God did when they received when that happens, that's almost like you're getting saved all over again. I mean, you just get giddy. It's happy. Happy time. It's, it's pretty cool. And so God is doing all these uh, amazing things in us. But I want to tell you that these active evidences God puts in us, and they're open for display. And people are going to come and ask you. So I'd say the big idea here. The closer we walk with Jesus, 
the more we look like Him. The more we look like Him, the more of Jesus and inquiring world will understand the reason for the hope that is within us. So let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your continued work in each one of our lives. We trust you. We ask that you would build your truth into our lives. We ask that this morning, if the Holy Spirit was speaking to us and asking us, there's some priorities that need to be changed. And Lord, we would be open to that. We wouldn't dig our heels in and, and resist you. But Lord, knowing that, Yielding to you means being changed in the best way possible. Lord, I ask that you would use each one of us um, to touch and take your message of hope to others. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.